I'm Meg Dahl, your unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. Hello, ladies, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. I feel like I still have morning voice right now, so excuse me, but I am in the midst of two weeks of Health Beyond Food events. So I am actually currently in Sudbury, Ontario right now with one of my best friends, Sophie, and we are going around and we have two weeks filled with Health Beyond Food classes. So head over to Instagram. I am doing my absolute best to keep you all up to date while I'm traveling around beautiful Ontario in the fall time. So I used to live in Ontario while I went to university and in my studying. And it is just the most beautiful place when the leaves start changing. And oh my gosh, I just absolutely love it here. It makes me so happy. They get fall way longer than we do in Saskatchewan. So I'm really happy that I'm here in October and I get to soak up so much more amazing weather. So good news. This time while I was traveling, my microphone did not break. So I am sitting in bed right now recording with my brand new microphone and it's seriously as heavy as like a five pound dumbbell. It is so heavy. That might be a slight exaggeration, but um, it's it's also kind of true. It's pretty heavy. <laughs> okay, so... Those are kind of my updates. I'm traveling for the next two weeks, teaching tons of Health Beyond Food classes. If you are interested in one of my events, just send me a direct message over on Instagram. I am Meg Dahl. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, that's my handle. I am Meg Dahl. Find me over there. If you're in Sudbury or can make it to Sudbury, Just let me know because we have two weeks filled with classes and I'd love to meet you and a special shout out to every single one of you who have been taking screenshots of you listening to the podcast and then posting them over on Instagram and tagging me. You have no idea how much I appreciate that. So if you're listening to this show with Callie, I would really appreciate it if you did take that screenshot and shared it with your friends on Instagram and tag me so I can actually see it and thank you personally. So as I mentioned, this week we have Callie, the author of What Goes Down, The End of an Eating Disorder. So Ladies, if you have ever struggled with an eating disorder or if you're currently going through recovery 
or maybe you're currently battling some disordered eating behaviors, this show is for you. Callie is super unique throughout her messaging and just how she recovered some of the tools that she used throughout recovery. She talks a lot about laughter and using humor. And it's so true because we take recovery so seriously. And it is. It's a very serious matter. I've been through it myself multiple times. And as I was talking to Kelly, I couldn't help but think, oh my gosh, yes. Every single time I went through recovery, it was like I had to put on a straight face and everything was so serious. But Kelly introduces the idea that we can actually look back at all kind of the really messed up things we did while we were struggling with an eating disorder and make light of them. And that just helped her so much throughout recovery, but also to truly recover as well. So I love Callie's message. I have her book linked up in the show notes and you can find her website in the show notes as well. And also go follow her over on Instagram. This podcast episode is bold, inspiring, and you are going to love it. So let's get over to my interview with Callie. Hey, Callie, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you on today. You sent me your book, so I've just been waiting to chat with you. I've in real life, I was going to say, but I mean, we're not actually sitting down together in the same room. That would be awesome. But I'm just really excited to introduce all of my ladies to you today. So why don't you introduce yourself to us? Yeah, thank you. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And I think a really fun fact that uh, you'll like and your audience will like, this is my first time actually talking like vocally out loud to anyone about it outside of friends and family. So this is like Callie's debut, which is really, really cool in my opinion. So if I start talking at like 90 miles a minute, you have to jump in and stop me, then you can. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is awesome. So it's like my podcast is your first appearance. It is. And so that's why it's just such, such a cool feeling. And I thought at first, like, oh, I should make notes to talk about or what am I going to say? But this stuff is actually so easy for me to talk about because it's so personal and such an accomplishment in my book of what I've been able to do. So I I love talking about it. But um, my pen name is Callie. I've written the book, uh, What Goes Down, The End of an Eating Disorder which I sent to you and I've sent to tons of people because I just want it to go out there. Um, I was someone, and and when people ask, you know, in this genre, you know, introduce yourself. I hate to just say I'm an eating disorder recoverer. You know, I'm I'm actually way more than that. You know, I'm a writer and a friend and a daughter and all these wonderful things in my life that I have to remember. And also I'm someone who recovered from an eating disorder. So it's one part of my personality, but definitely a part that has influenced me way more than I expected it to, you know? I bet you'd feel the same way if you were a teenager and someone told you or even younger, you know, you're going to have this lifelong, you know, problem. It's going to take decades to get over and it's going to be your passion to help people with it. You'd be like, not me. Yeah. <laughs> That's how my life's going to look like. But, you know, it happens and you and you find a passion and you want to help people. But um, my story, basically, of sort of how it all went down, which for a lot of people 
it's, it surprised me that I've learned now that it's not like, you know, supermodels and gymnasts and all these things you always think it is more often than not, it's just normal everyday people that decide one day to diet or do something, you know, like that, that they think is going to change other problems in their life, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a bad decision to make and it's, but it was totally benign. Initially I was a, so growing up, I was a gymnast and a cheerleader and all those things, which is, is wonderful. And I should be more proud of my body for what it was able to do. But like many people, I was angry at it for how stocky and thick and muscular it was, you know, and just thought, oh, don't like that. And in high school and in college, I um, had the very traumatic experience of boy dumping me. So I had to do something about that. And I decided to diet. And it was a very like I said, innocent decision. Like, I'm just going to lose weight. I'm going to get skinny. My life's going to be great. You know, and I think a lot of people start that way. What I've learned since writing my book and talking to people, it's a very simple decision to start restricting, Mm -hmm. but it causes a cataclysmic, you know, exponential rolling ball of inertia that just changes everything. And I think like many people, I just start, my brain started to rewire itself and it was like, okay, we'll take the normal food plugs and we'll put them over here in places they don't belong, like self-worth and confidence. And I think of it like a switchboard, you know, the old phones and all the wires got plugged in the wrong places. And it's just so hard to undo that. It takes years and years and more years after that to undo that. But you'll see in the book, one thing um, I learned in my recovery and it was very isolated, my actual recovery. Now I'm I'm a lot more vocal trying to help others, but I just kind of decided at one point, after I spiraled really, really far without triggering anything, but from anorexia to exercise, bulimia to binging and purging in extreme amounts. And then finally, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. All of that was alone. And I was kind of lonely and all that, but I've since learned, uh, you know, since I've read other people's stories that they're alone too. And that's what, that's what has really inspired me to, um, share my story. Writing my story is a lot like you. It's just, I had to get it out. Like mm-hmm. I just had to put it on paper, like journaling, like you say, it just felt so cathartic, you know, to put it out and just have it out of my body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, a, um, and what the, the one thing that I like to pass on to people is, um, that I've learned has helped me and it sounds really silly, but humor, like it, everything for me that I've been able to get through in my life, some very tough things, far more than this, is because I have a good sense of humor. You know, I'm a funny person with a positive attitude and laughter always helps. I think it makes everything better. And for some reason in all of this, with the eating disorder, I lost that. Like it couldn't be funny. Nothing was funny. Everything was serious about my weight and what I ate. And it just, I just had this huge sharp edge to it. And when I finally started to recover and I could actually laugh a little bit at some of the things I did, like a picture that I thought was hideous is now funny, you know, or, an eating practice I used to have with weird dishes and Tupperwares is kind of now funny. Like how, how, why did you do that? You know? And if you can laugh at yourself, I think you can start to heal and start to take the power of it away. If that makes sense. You know, you oh, kind of, yeah. <clears throat> no, I can definitely relate to that. I know my parents have even made comments to me in the past that they always knew when I was getting better or like feeling my best because I would, laugh so much more. And when I was like in my head or struggling a little bit, or even in like the thick of an eating disorder, my sense of humor was like completely gone. I took everything so seriously, just like you said you did too. Yeah. It's, it's surprising that, that you lose that. And, and looking back now, I can see that 
I was even, you know, the rock for other people. Like I was someone in their life that they always turned to and always had a positive attitude, always had a nice joke to get them over it. But for some reason, when I went home and I was alone, which what I call like my monster, my eating disorder in my room, all of a sudden nothing was funny and nothing was insurmountable. Everything was big and scary and mean. And, and it, but you get there, you just spiral to that place alone and then there's nothing that can get you out of it. So I hope people listening that are struggling to, if you can just kind of step outside of yourself for a moment and find any slight humor, you know, any slight irony that makes you chuckle, I think you can start to heal yourself. It like, it takes away the, the kind of monster's power, you know, if, if you can laugh at him a little bit, like, why are you so powerful? Like, I'm, I'm pretty, I don't want to say any bad, I'm a pretty powerful, wonderful woman. And that's what you need to be able to tell them, you know, and just kind of laugh because humor has been a huge, huge healing help for me. And so I hope other people can see that too, that don't lose their sense of humor while they're trying to fight this thing. Oh gosh. I mean, this podcast is called the Unbreakable You podcast. And (laughs) I have so many women and even men coming on the show, sharing their stories. And not everyone has like dealt with an eating disorder, but we all have these different past experiences that create a story that we share, that we come together and share, but no one has ever talked about using humor as like a healing tool. But I so agree with that. Yeah, it was it was kind of different for me, too. And I, I don't really know how I stumbled across it. I guess when I for more of my stories, I haven't really told it exactly. But, um, you know, you start restricting and then you start losing weight and that feels good. And then you get this weird mentality of, you know, not eating has this like righteous accomplishment feeling, you know, like, Ooh, I was able to avoid breakfast. Look how powerful am I, you know? And, and it starts, you get this sort of buzz off of it, of of being able to control yourself. And that spiraled for me into, you know, of course it was, I have very brief bout with anorexia. That's actually the much harder of them, I would say, because I, I totally caved and, and found an an addiction in peanut butter really quickly (laughs) and started Mm -hmm. taking jars of peanut butter to bed with me, which is not a good idea. I would sometimes wake up with like a spoon in my hair with peanut butter in it. <laughs> and back then that was serious and scary. And, uh, and now I'm like, you know, I can laugh at that because it's, it's okay. We make mistakes. We do things because we're human. But I went from that to unfortunately binging and purging to a point that it was daily. And it was something, it became not even about food anymore. It was like a pleasure source of both a a punishment and a reward system, you know, where you Mm -hmm. restrict, 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 and then reward. And, and it became so mental. I think everybody has to understand it's so mental, you know, it's beyond, I want to be skinny or beyond, I want to look good because often we don't look good for the most of it, you know, the most (laughs) duration of someone with an eating disorder, you don't look the way you want to look. So it's, it's just so hard to overcome. But once you do, I think, and can look back and find some normalcy, it, it helps a lot. Food freedom is something I'm still working very much toward. And I think I'm like 90% there. But what was really hard for me in that the big decision to say, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore, which is, you know, throw up. And I was like, I'm never going to do that again. You still don't know how to eat after that, you know? <laughs> That's oh, not, yeah. The next step isn't easy. <laughs> oh, no, I totally get it. Like, there's a point in our journeys where we kind of like look at ourselves or take a step back and realize that we can't go on living like how we are living anymore, right? And mm-hmm. then it's like, 
okay, but I actually like don't know how to eat. <laughs> yeah, I don't. And it's like, yeah. it's such a strange, and I, it, I know it feels so funny is when I, now I'm able to talk to good friends about it and they're very aware of it. And it's, that's a good thing because when I have kind of a funky day and I can't figure out what's going on eating wise, I can talk to them openly and that's what helps. But I mean, a lot of people with eating disorders I've found are super accomplished people. Like they are doctors and surgeons and CFOs. And like, you know, and I think because it is so hard to maintain an eating disorder while also being successful, you're like uber successful, but (laughs) it's hard for us to admit people like that say, we don't really know how to eat. Like we don't know how to eat normal because it seems so intuitive and embarrassing to say, but you just have to say it and you have to talk to somebody, you know, and have somebody help you as, as what's worked for me. But it's a strange thing to have to admit something so minor, but it's embarrassing, you know? Oh, yeah. I, fu- I actually was fortunate enough to, well, my mom and dad are always extremely supportive. But back in 2013, when I had that kind of moment in my life, when I realized, okay, I don't want to continue doing what I'm doing. So something needs to change. But I actually didn't know how to eat. I had a very good friend that, you know, we hopped on Skype together and she kind of like walked me through it because she had been there too. And it was just, it's really important to have like a support system as well that actually gets it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's, and it's, it's hard to find and and hard to get there, but I think it's so hard for us because like I've written in my book and in a couple blog posts, I think it's harder to be an eating disorder recovery person than any other addiction because it's like, you know, if you're a drug addict or an alcohol addict, you can just stop drinking. Right. It's not like... Okay. So how do I have like a healthy relationship with alcohol now? Like someone might be able to do that, but most of all, it's like, okay, I'm just not going to drink anymore or I'm not going to use drugs anymore. Right. And food, obviously we know that that's not the case. It just, it can't be like that. (laughs) Unfortunately, like almost once some days I'm like, God, if I just didn't have to eat and you could just inject energy into me and be much better, <laughs> I wouldn't set off this cascade of emotions. But when I see a piece of cake, oh gosh, you know, and, but I, when I explain to people and if other people are struggling to talk to their friends that are like, why can't you just eat? You know, like, why is it hard? Like, and if, but if you explain to them, it is an addiction and it sets off this whole mental process for me, you know, tell them it's like someone who's a heroin addict and you have to tell them, well, you have to have heroin once a day, but you can't go crazy with it, you know, but you have to have it once a day. It's like, it just messes with your mind. But I think that would help people understand why it's so hard. And one mistake I made after, um, which I think a lot of people probably do this. So forgive yourself, you know, if you're one that has done it or seen a friend do it, even when you decide, okay, now I'm going to eat healthy, our culture is so confusing as to what that is, you know, and there's still so many quote diets out there that I, you know, I tried to be vegetarian. I thought that'll be healthy. And then I'm like, I'm going to do this all protein diet and that'll be healthy. And Mm -hmm. what I've learned is I'm someone that I can't restrict anything. And I, it's kind of unfortunate because I don't want to have to force myself to eat a cookie or a little piece of cake, but I kind of have to, because I can't, I can't be on a restrictive diet of any kind because it, it makes me spiral, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know I would like you to go into this a little bit more because you said you feel like you're about like 90 or 95% at like this 
place of food freedom. So it would be interesting to hear like where you're at, how you're feeling, where you're at and what you feel like you're kind of working towards, I guess, Um, just because I do think we all have kind of different understandings of what that looks and feels like within our own lives. But yeah, throughout my journey, I've definitely found that like, there's just like no room for restriction whatsoever. And my body's really happy with like a really good balance of things, Um, Mm -hmm. especially when I'm making up my plate is I have found when I'm really tuning into my body, what comes natural to me is just like creating this plate. And when I do that intuitively, the plate's quite balanced. And Mm -hmm. um, I just like thought that was a pretty cool observation when there's no other like, you know, guidelines or anything that the body or my body at least actually does just want balance. Yeah, no, I think, and that's a really good, I think, rule of thumb, I'll call it. Like, I think we all need that, the people who are recovering. I mean, you can't just tell us to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner and make it look healthy because we're either way too extreme healthy or we're way non-healthy and we can't figure out that middle ground. So that's a really good rule of thumb. Like, look at each plate and see if it's balanced. Um, what's worked for me, and I, I sort of started out, like I said, like, you know, I, I was trying to pick diets. Like, I'll be a vegetarian. I'll be the... Atkins or the South Beach or whatever, and I'll follow their diet plan and that'll work for me. But like you said, the restricting was, uh, was, was harmful for me. And what I realized I was doing, and this take, this has taken me like two, three years to get to normal, you know, which is kind of hard to admit, but it's just the truth that uh, when I started eating, you know, normal where I wouldn't purge at all, I realized I was trying to make all my diets allow me still some sort of binge opportunity. Like I would be like, Oh, I'll have a really small breakfast. I'll have a nice healthy salad for lunch so that I can have a good big dinner. Mm. And that's, that's kind of okay. But if you're a person that likes to sometimes take that one step too far, you shouldn't be structuring your setting yourself up for kind of a failure, you know? And so what I've, what mine is kind of timing. If ever I'm, I start to get the mental kind of hunger cue, which like I've heard you say in your talk recently, I think with Terry, that it's hard to know what that is. You know, am I just thinking about food or am I just, am I actually hungry? It takes a long time for my body to, to has taken years for my body to show me, okay, now I'm, I'm a little bit hungry. But when I get hungry, sometimes I'll be like, well, if I eat a little, just a little bit, that little voice in your head, you know, everybody has it. And they're so similar. It's like, you just eat a little bit now and you can have a big snack later when you're going to that party or whatever it is. I always notice I'm trying to save for later. I'm trying to save for this big pie in the sky moment at the end, near the end of the day where I can just go nuts, you know? And now I have to tell myself like, no, if you're, you're pretty hungry right now, you should eat like a good bowl of cereal or like two eggs and a piece of toast. And who cares about later? Like it's not later right now. It's, it's now and your body's hungry. So for me, I have to timing wise, like stop trying to save calories for later, if that makes sense. I, Cause I have a tendency to do that. So yeah, that's, that's sort of my rule of thumb. I don't, I don't think about what I may be able to eat later. I mean, maybe I'll eat a little too much for lunch and then somebody cooks a wonderful dinner and I have to be like, okay, well, I had a big lunch. So I'll just have a few bites. Thanks. I should, I should never be planning for the next meal 
when I eat. That's sort of my rule of thumb. Yeah. And that just kind of goes back to something that I love talking about is really living in like the present. And um, I think that's so important for like recovering from any type of eating disorder, disordered eating, anything like that. Even me, like going through that journey of working to get my period back, it was very much so like living in the moment and really just like trusting my body in the moment and not thinking about like what you had previously or what, how many hours are left in the day. You know, I know I talk with so many girls that are overcoming like eating disorders, disordered eating, hypothalamic amenorrhea, and it can get kind of scary sometimes when that extreme hunger kicks in and you can start like thinking, okay, I'm super hungry right now, but I just ate X, Y, Z and it's only like midday, you know, and that's really when like the mind is doing so much work than what it should be when we should just be like tuning in and being like, okay, I'm hungry. It doesn't have to be like this big mental event, right? <laughs> I like the way you call it. It's like Olympics for us sometimes. Oh, yeah. In the mind, for sure. Olympics of the mind. Yes. It's like a three-tiered, like ultimate championship throwdown. And I, and I can't decide who should win. Like that's my problem half the time. <laughs> I don't know who I'm rooting for. I don't know who's stronger. You know, and that's, I think a big part of it, why it's so hard is because sometimes eating feels weak. And I know that sounds so weird, but for people that have been there and have done that, it, it does. It feels like you've caved into some big guilty thing, even if it's just like, you know, a piece of toast or something, but you're like, oh, you terrible weakling. You just ate toast, you know, that person in your mind. <laughs> and looking back, you have to be able to laugh because it's like, oh my God, it's bread. Like really, <laughs> I just spent an hour thinking about a piece of bread. So if you can laugh a little and look back on it, I think it just kind of takes its thunder away, which is what I always try to do. And like I said, I have good friends now that know me so well that I still have days where I'm a little funky. You know, I don't know if I'm really in my super healthy zone and, but they have a sense of humor too. And I rely on that because I can text them and be like, I think I ran 500 steps more than I should have. If I run backwards, will it take it away? You know, yeah. <laughs> make a joke back and, and we can joke about it. So it's not this big, scary thing. And it, I've heard somebody say on a podcast that eating disorders grow in the dark. And I mm. totally agree with that. If you keep it behind the closed doors and you go home with it alone, which most of us do, if we have a really bad one and you just lock yourself in with it, it's such, such a powerful, devastating thing. You know, I just kind of have to bust the doors open and let all the light in. And I imagine him like shriveling like Dracula, you know, <laughs> yeah. which makes me so good. I'm like, take that. <laughs> oh my gosh. How true is that though? Because we do definitely like, suffer alone as you said earlier in the show but to, for that just like thinking about how eating disorders grow it's definitely in the dark too right very much so I think yeah. and it's something once you start hiding it once you start pushing people away because you don't want to eat with them you know it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger I mean I've, I've practically got divorced because I didn't like to eat with my husband oh my gosh <laughs> And, but we weren't meant to be. And now I know that's totally fine, but it was, it had a huge, it has huge social impacts and people know this. I mean, you lose friends and loved ones and relatives because you just are this angry, prickly, you know, hostile being. And it's so sad when you look back and see 
what you've lost, but if you recover and you get to this point, you can be so happy for what's ahead, you know, and how many relationships you can spend building and growing around food, you know, centered with food. And that's awesome. And that's, that's a cool feeling going forward. Oh yeah, for sure. So Kelly, something you mentioned earlier in the show is how the brain rewires itself or how it's possible to rewire the brain. So it's kind of like we grow up with this healthy relationship with food until a certain age, different for all of us. And then our brain kind of shifts, rewires and become, you know, believes disordered things, but it's actually possible to rewire it then again to for recovery, right? So what did that rewiring process look for you in order to let go and recover from your eating disorder? Well, what I noticed, and I'll I'll say that I've learned a lot more since I've started to recover because I didn't read any books or listen to any other people who had suffered. Like I said, it's kind of an isolation that I started to recover and got better, but I would hope, I would encourage anybody to just, I know you don't want, you may not want to talk about it and be open about it, but you can read all day long or you can listen quietly all day long, you know, and just hear other people's accounts because now Now what I know of other people, I can reflect back on my experience and see I was doing exactly what they were doing. And so what I've learned is when I was rewired, um, I would restrict during the day because, you know, it felt good and I'm this righteous person. It's better than eating, you know, which is so ridiculous, but I was. And, um, and then at night, my kind of, they call it like the animal brain. A lot of people have a different word for it, but it becomes instinctive. Your body's like, Oh my God, you're starving me. Like I'm going to take over. I'm so hungry right now. I'm so afraid. I'm like threatened that not going to get food. And so you kind of get into this zombie mode and, and, when that started happening and when I was recovering, you know, and trying to figure out how to eat the right way, I noticed at night, I have a wonderful boyfriend now that I live with and he's amazing, amazing person. I was kind of waiting for him to go to bed (laughs) so I could get out my, whatever, my little snacks, my peanuts, whatever. And, and I noticed I was kind of like pushing him away a little bit. And he kind of mentioned it too. He was like, why don't you come to bed with me and just read? I mean, you probably will fall asleep. It'll be fine. My excuse is that I can't sleep unless I'm cool. But when I started to see that I was following an old pattern of pushing people away, you know, to be able to eat or not eat or whatever it is, it it revolves around food. But I saw that that was a huge problem because he means so much to me. And so then I told myself, I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to get full whenever I need to during the day. If my body's hungry, I'm going to let it get full then. And the more I've fed it during the day, it stops at night. Like it's the, those huge monstrous zombie like cravings stop. So it's mm-hmm. like, it was a rewiring my body and brain were finally like, okay, <laughs> we don't have to have this monstrous, you know, intake right before bed, but it is a hard habit to break. It really is. I did struggle to sleep. Sleeping's hard. A lot of people, I think that's part of it. They feel like they need to be full to eat. It's hard to sleep when you're hungry, you know, all of those things, but it can be retrained. It just takes a long time of doing the right things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of us have such different things that we need to retrain within our lives, like our actions and thought patterns and things like that. So for you now, what is life like after writing this book? I'm sure it was so therapeutic to write. And so I'm just curious, like how has your life and recovery and that sort of thing changed 
from writing that book? Yeah, that's a, it's, it's a fantastic question because I never dreamed I would write that book. Um, I am a writer in many, many senses of the word in a lot of ways. And, and I've written a lot of nonfiction stuff in other parts of my life. And so when I started to recover, I, something in my brain just said, Oh my God, you need to write this. Like you're, you're finally reliving all these memories. You're forgiving yourself. You're looking at back at very silly things that you did. Like I would eat butter spray all the time until my fingers turned yellow. Really? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and my people would be like, what are you cared finger? And I would hide my hands, you know? And, and I, it, but it's funny now because it's like, you silly, silly goofus. Like, what were you doing? You know, but it, when I started to laugh about it, I thought, oh my God, I have to tell this story. I have to. And just for me at first, it was just an accountability to me, put it on paper. But then I'm such an avid writer. It was like 70,000 words within like a month. And I thought, okay, now, now I need to really make this a book. And I called in a friend of mine who's an editor. She helped me put it all together and get it ready. But once I put it out, um, I worked with her because she's a good friend too. And she's probably one who she does a lot of the comments and stuff for me on Instagram and helps me with that because I'm not great at it. And uh, she uh, has told me, you know, well, we need to get it to people. Like, how do we get this book to people, you know? And so we've kind of hatched a plan with the Instagram and we started the wine and cheese diet blog, which has been so much fun. <laughs> like that one is just, it's a place where if food is bothering me or I'm having a funky day, whatever it is I'm dealing with, I try to process it right then, find some humor in it, you know, spin it back on itself, use my strength, which I have. And I now can harness against even my, you know, recovered eating store. And I write a little blog article, you know, and it feels good and it's out there and people have really responded to it, which is amazing. They'll be like, wow, I was totally feeling that too. And they'll write in. And so now I have this wonderful outlet that if I'm having a, you know, a bit of an issue or just a revelation, like a I wrote one the other day on Barbie and it's a, it's a pretty funny one. Also to share a bit with you, but I, and everybody knows commonly that Barbie analogy where if Barbie was a life-size woman, she'd have like, you know, double F boobs and like the tiniest waist. And she would look so weird. Like she would have size two feet and arms down to her like mid thighs, you know, it just seemed everybody kind of knows that, but I wanted to do a different spin on it and say like how many other things would be awkward if she was real. Like, there's so many things she's smiling all the time. Like, so she, she how can she ever have a resting bitch face? You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, she can't even sit in Lotus. Like if she can't even bend her knees. Like what if she falls over? I don't think she can get up. I really don't think she physically can, you know? And she, I, was, I just made a joke like on social media, she'd probably struggle. Cause she's probably like, I can't twerk cause nothing jiggles, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Imagine Barbie in real life. I'm sure she would struggle and I feel better laughing at her. I get a lot of, get a lot of power out of that. <laughs> so life after everything is, is a wonderful way to connect with people. I have an outlet where if I'm have a little thought of revelation, I can put it out there and I hope that it helps people. Like it's, I've had a couple people write me personally, send photos of before and after and, and long monologues of things they've gone through. And that's, that is just a super powerful feeling, which I'm sure, you know, you're helping so many in the same way. It's just, it's totally worth it for that reason. Oh yeah. It feels real good because I remember when I was struggling with anorexia, when I was 10 years old, I vividly remember like screaming and crying and asking my parents, like, why do I have to go through this? Like, why is this happening to me? And now I know. Right. And I've trusted that for many, many years of my life is I knew that I was going through that to 
help people one day. And that's exactly like the response that I got from my parents when I would ask them that. They would always tell me that they believed that I was going through this so I could help people one day. And that really encouraged me to open up even when I was very young about my eating disorder, because like you said earlier, not a, you know, a lot of people do suffer in darkness and feel very, very alone when they're going through something like this. So it was not only really helpful for me to speak up about it, but I felt like I was like helping people along the way too, which is a really good feeling. It is. You were, you were built for it for sure. <laughs> just when I hear your voice on the podcast, it's just so cute. I'm like, Oh, it, it fits with the doll. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Aww, well, thank you. I think you have a great voice too. <laughs> That's good. Well, then you, you talked about it though. And I don't know if you've said it before, if you don't mind being conversational, 10 is just such a young age that it, it kind of blows my mind that what, what do you think was your reason for starting to restrict food and at such a young age? Yeah. And I mean, that's a great question. And I feel like no one's ever asked me a question on my podcast before. But when I was 10 years old, I started getting a lot of digestive issues and I just like had tons of digestive pain. And I remember going into the doctor and him just saying that it was a viral infection and they couldn't do anything. And so in my mind, like looking back, I'm now like a registered holistic nutritionist, have studied nutrition and dietetics for how many years and knowing a lot about, you know, food and how it impacts the body and how gut health impacts the brain and mental health, right? Um, Just kind of observing that and looking at my 10-year-old self as if she was like my child or something like that, I would kind of see it as though me having digestive issues really, really impacted my mental health. I was eating gluten at the time. I'm very highly intolerant to gluten. I haven't been like tested for celiac disease before, but um, I'm not going to eat gluten to test for it, but I'm very intolerant to it. I get reactions like that's the test. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. And Mm -hmm. um, we just know that really, like the gut health really, really depends on our mental health. They interact so closely. And so looking back, I really do think that was a very big tie to that, that I was having such digestive distress and it really impacted my mental health. And since my stomach aches were so bad and I'd be curious to hear from you here, you just because we both have um, battled eating disorders in the past, but whenever I'm lacking nutrition, so a little malnourished or a lot malnourished, right? Whenever I undereat, I notice that those disordered thoughts come. And I feel like when I was 10 years old, I was having such horrible stomach aches that I stopped eating because my stomach hurt so bad. And then it really messed with my mind and led me into this horrible eating disorder and eventually like adopting all of those beliefs and fears that someone with like anorexia has. 
And that's when I had um, my first eating disorder. And what really like pulled the trigger too, I lost our first family member to cancer at that age too. And I think that was kind of like, you know, the thing that really like pushed me off the edge to really like kind of get lost in an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. It, for me, and I don't know if it's for others, it, it became like a, a way that if I can control this, then bad things won't happen to me that are unpredictable, that hurt, you know, like if mm-hmm. I can just control my eating, then I'll be in control of my happiness and, and the circumstances, but it's not true at all. <laughs> but it's hard to, to make yourself unbelieve that. But hearing your story, which is powerful, I, I've, I've wanted to hear it this whole time. So I'm selfishly happy I asked. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for asking me. You're so sweet. <laughs> I was, because, well, that's just such a young age. You know, the common that I've seen is is usually around high school or college, you know, when, when people start to get, um, their own control of their food, you know, it's usually growing up at home for, sure. for the most part, your, your story is a little different, but for the most part, most, most of, most of us ate normal because it was just the food that was put in front of us, you know? And well, then we yeah. Put, yeah. Love it. And that's we actually did. what I was talking to my mom about because I'm just very, very, and I've talked about this in like a podcast episode before. So everyone don't get, don't mind me bringing it up again, but, um, the Weight Watchers Kerbo app for children. So that's what really, like, I'm fired up about it for so many reasons. Like there are numerous reasons as to why it's so wrong and twisted and effed up. But, um, I was talking to my mom recently about this app and how disgusted I was with it. And I just, cause I had anorexia when I was 10 and then I relapsed again when I was 15. And when I was 10, there, there is a reason why I'm talking about this. It's relevant to what you were saying. But when I was 10 recovery, was so much easier because basically my parents were like, okay, time to get over this illness. Mm -hmm. You're going to eat what I put in front of you type thing. Right. Of course I saw like a psychologist and we worked through the mental component, but eating wise, I didn't have access to the internet when I was 10 years old. I didn't have a phone. I was like, I didn't know anything about calories, carbs, protein, fat, like anything like that. Right. Whereas when I was 15, I was so much more independent. I could lie to my parents, take my vehicle, say I'm eating here, but then go somewhere else and actually not eat at all for days. You know what I mean? So kind of scary because you just take it to the next level. Yeah. And like with that independence, right. And having access to like the internet, social media, and these apps that like really instill fear in so many people. So anyways, that was just like a conversation my mom and I had recently was like, I'm grateful I didn't have access to social media back then because I was actually able to recover from my eating disorder so much quicker than I did the second time around because I had access to those things. Yeah, it, it actually really makes me super sad that I see now how much attention is put into it, how much money, how much time people spend 
thinking about diet, exercise, how I look, what size I am, all of that. And what I have found super comforting and I hope would help others is when I be strong, you know, and just get in my head and I'm like, okay, I'm hungry right now. I'm going to have a bowl of cereal and an apple and that looks great. And that's a wonderful snack and I'm going to do it. And I just sit down, I eat it. And, and once it's done and I shut, shut that part off, like food just goes away. And my mind is free to do so many other wonderful things than stare at Instagram and pretty girls or whatever, you know, oh, I just, yeah. I can write a book or I can work <laughs> on I do hand balancing, try to stand on my hand. And, you know, I, I like, I like goals like that. I like to learn to paint. I want to go ride a horse. You know, it's just, if you can just get stronger than that and be like, yeah, okay, I'm a little hungry. I'm going to have a, you know, a nice sandwich with a salad and a cookie afterwards. And you just decide, eat it, move on. Like it's, you're going to find so much mental freedom and so much happiness and, and release from that. Like change will just start to fall off your body. And it's, it shocked me that it, I'm, I'm jealous. It's so easy for people. And I think that's great, but you can make it easy by just being mentally strong. And you know what a healthy meal should look like. Like you said, it's balanced. You've got a pretty good idea. You just got to get out of your head that's arguing otherwise. Pick the meal, eat it. Think about that moment right then. Not about what you're going to do that night. Not about what you might eat tomorrow. And just move on. And then the freedom of it is shocking. I was just amazed how much time I spent thinking about what was going in and out of my body. It was wasted time like absolutely wasted almost all of my twenties, which is oh. sad and ridiculous, but thank goodness I'm over it. And my thirties and forties are going to be so much better. So yes, I am so happy for you, Kelly. And thank you so much for writing that book and sharing your wisdom with the world. I know a large part of your book is about how you did approach recovery with humor. So thank you for sharing that with us on this show. But I do have one last question for you. I feel like if you've ever listened to the podcast before, you know what I'm going to say. But what does it mean to you to be unbreakable? (laughs) That's a great question. To be able to do a handstand for 10 seconds. (laughs) That's my own personal goal right now. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that one. But I would say is that what 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 turned things for me, like I said, is when I when I realized I wasn't using one of my best weapons. Like if you were to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, what is the strongest, most you know, capable part of my personality? Is it a sense of humor? Is it a positive attitude? Is it a you know un, unbreakable determination? Whatever it is that you're like, that really makes me unique and strong. Make sure you're using that against your eating disorder. Like make sure your eating disorder isn't, you know, shying away from your most powerful weapon, which for me was a sense of humor, but whatever you feel like is your strongest trait, like use that. And for me, that was it. It's someone that could look back at it and forgive myself and laugh, you know, because life's, life's just funny and there's hard things and hurtful things. But if you can, you know, if you can start to laugh more and move forward, it, it all gets better. That's awesome, Callie. Thank you so much. And I know you've brought up self-forgiveness several times throughout this episode. So that's something that has been so transformative for me and my healing journey. So I'm really happy that you brought that up as well. And if people want to get their hands on your book, can we tell them where they can get it and all of that info? I will link everything up in the show notes for our listeners. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll send it to you. It's a, um, I'm a huge wine and cheese fan. So it's, it's the wine and cheese diet.com. Like as a joke, take the word diet back. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Thank you so much, Callie. It was awesome chatting with you. You too, Meg. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you.